0: Hey you, welcome to episode 185 of Legally Clueless. Thank you so much for rocking with this podcast. If it's your first time, welcome. Audio episodes like this out every single Monday and we're in season three of our video series. So on our YouTube channel, video episodes guard every single Friday at 10 a.m. Okay, great. Ooh, one more thing. You can sign up to join our official community on legallycluelessafrica.com. The links to all of that are in the show notes. So I have some really good news. We kind of sort of won an award. I think it's an award that I told you about where we got nominated and I'm really against the whole rallying people to vote for you thing. I know the business angle behind it. And so I just think if you're going to be honored for an award, you're going to be honored for a award. It doesn't have to be complex. (laughs) Does that make sense? Anyway, this is meant to be a good announcement, not rambling on, but I am so excited to announce that we won Spotlight of the year for this podcast at the Africa Podcast and Voice Awards. Super honored because it's an African award ceremony created by Africans, so that's pretty dope. And yeah, so go us.
1: Yay. <laughs>
0: All right. Another thing I wanted to tell you is you really need to check out our video series that's going on on YouTube. I genuinely think this season, season three, has some of the most powerful stories we've ever recorded on the video series. I was re-watching one that went out um, that features Minor Mind. He's an actor, a poet, a creator from here in Kenya, and he shares his story about looking for acceptance and love from his dad. And I can't really relate with that story. A, I'm not a guy. B, my relationship with my dad was complex, but in a completely different way. But I appreciate that very many men are looking for their father's approval and love. The feedback I've been getting from men, men who I know, strangers, has just been like, whoa, this is such a powerful episode. So I decided to mention it here because in case you have any male identifying people, In your lives, who you think would benefit from watching such a powerful story? It could actually even help you understand somebody who's battling that. Just head over to your YouTube channel, it's Legally Clueless, and check out the Minor Mind episode. There is a link to our YouTube channel in the show notes, but if you just search Legally Clueless, we're bright yellow on YouTube, you can't miss us. Okay, back to this episode. This is what's coming up.
1: When I was eight years old, I lost my mom to cancer and I felt like a part of me disappeared. I was already a quiet child. I became more quiet. I realized I didn't understand what death was. You're looking at your cousins. You're there like, you still have your mother. We don't. I will never get close to someone because everyone I get close to, the people I love dearly, Die. The first few years before we adjusted with my stepmom were what? It was rough. It was an experience that made me have low self-esteem, made me doubt myself. But then when I finish and I'm ready to go to uni, there is no money. I'm like, what do you mean there is no money? Fast forward, my sister graduates after me, and not only does she go to uni, she goes to Dexter University. So when I'm being told there is no money, how is there money to take someone to a private university, right? It started a trajectory of thoughts that Maybe I'm the black sheep in the family. So if I'm hanging out even with my friends or my sister, I'm older than her, right? Hi, she in uni? I'm just at home.
0: That is Josephine's story. And I absolutely love it. I have been itching waiting to share it with you because there are just so many gems she drops. Man, especially like... I think because I'm in a zone of intentional healing I really identified with so much that she shared in that story so that's coming up a little later in this episode. Oh I was sharing things that you need to check out and I forgot to tell you about a new show by Guinness which is the Black Shines Brightest Stories show and it's on the Guinness Kenya YouTube channel. The reason I'm sharing this is because we have partnered with them for the third season of our video series and the reason we partnered with them is because they're amplifying stories of African creatives. And that's just stuff that I absolutely love. And so they have a whole really well shot, really well done show that captures the stories of African creatives in the food, fashion uh, music, content creation space, like Yanni just creatives, you know, and it's very powerful and not just Kenyan, they're creatives featured who are not from Kenya but are from African countries and oh dance is also there and the one that I really want you to check out is the story behind Uncle Nene's, which is a local food company known for their very interesting burgers, <laughs> I actually did not know that I know the person behind this company until I watched their episode and I was like, oh my God, it's her (laughs) and her husband. And so I think what's interesting about their particular episode is the creativity behind the making of the burgers. Gosh, I'm even just like (laughs) salivating. So like amazing! We're talking about the burgers, anyway. So, like, you see her coming up with different ideas of burgers, testing them out on her friends, getting feedback, and it reminds you that there is creativity in so much that we do. Sometimes we forget that it goes beyond, you know, the art and the music, etc. But it exists even in very traditional-looking businesses, yeah. And so, this story is very interesting. I have in the show notes put a link to this show by Guinness. I think you should check it out. I'm pretty sure if you enjoy the stories here on Legally Clueless, you will enjoy the stories on Black Shine's Brightest Stories. All right, song of the week, which is a song I play every single morning. A song by AKA and Nasty C. The name of the song is Lemons. Yes, I don't only listen to music that you can burn sage to. (laughs) I don't know what it is about this song, yo. I think maybe it's the beat, because when it starts, I just I'm just like, hey. I mean, like all my troubles are halted. even my concentration. I can't play it while working because I will not concentrate on anything. It just lifts me. I, I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe it's the beats. I don't know. You listen and tell me. So I'll put a link to the song in the show notes. But if you can't see the link, look for Lemons by aka Nasty C. Okay, let's do a quick catch up because the story in this episode is pretty long and I want to give it all the space. But I do realize I haven't quite told you about my New York trip. Now I am very settled back from It, it it was a bit hectic when I landed back because literally the next morning I had a shoot that evening I had a gig the next day I had meetings and pitches like I came back smack into work this entrepreneurial life is not sexy but New York was awesome we took the book we had so many book events oh my word okay so the first day I chaired a colloquium on making sure that survivors of sexual violence get access to justice and the various solutions that Africa is innovating. One of the solutions is so dope and it's so great to know that it was innovated with Kenya in mind, which is like self-testing DNA kits. Very, very interesting. Like it's built for our conditions, even like weather conditions. It's just, it, it made me kind of like, reignite my will to end sexual violence. I had gotten quite jaded and just felt like, oh my goodness, like we've been saying the same thing for years and nothing is changing. What's the point? We can't get funding. I'd gotten into a bit of a rut and a bit of like activism exhaustion, but the New York trip just like reignited so much fire for me because of just being around more people who want to end sexual violence. Ooh, there's another lady I met, and we're definitely going to keep in touch, Gabrielle, and she is using virtual reality to design a game that is a psychosocial intervention for survivors of sexual violence. It's so good. It's so good. I was just so... It was good. That trip was good for my soul. I went to Afropunk and got to see Burner Boy live on stage. If you know me well, you know I'm a huge fan and it was such a spiritual moment it was raining and <laughs> we had indulged <laughs> understand that as you want to <laughs> but like when he performed bank on it oh my god and it was just raining and man it was spiritual <laughs> it was a spiritual experience and then we went to this kenyan party that was awesome I met so many creative minds. I went to the Brooklyn Museum. A friend who I made on the trip took me and we went for the Virgil Abloh exhibition that was just like fucking out of this world dope. Ugh. Oh my God. Like, all of that reignited a creative project I've wanted to do for so long. Like, it made me realize it's so possible. Let me tell you, that trip was just so good for my soul. It was great for the book, etc., but, like, above everything, it was good for my soul. Everyone we met was so supportive, wanting to just, like, chip in and help in whatever way. I am just so energized from that trip, I just wanted to share that. And I really sat in every moment. Most of the times, I'll always have my recorder on me. And I did. Actually, I did have my recorder on me for every moment in this trip. But I just wanted to sit in the moment and be one with the book and just like be in. I don't know if that makes sense. Not like be thinking, oh, this person is great for the podcast when I'm talking to someone. No, just like really be in that moment talking with them connecting ah it was great okay i've caught you off on all that i can tell you about now (laughs) from that trip so let's jump into 100 african stories so if you are or you're trying to be or you want to be intentional about your healing this story by josephine is definitely for you 100 african stories on legally clueless stories from africa
1: Josephine Wangari Masharia, but most people call me Kare. I'm from Kenya, specifically Nairobi, which is where I've grown up, lived all my life. So we grew up in Eastlands. I know at some point we used to live in Umoja, but I wasn't born then. So that's a story I hear. So the place I remember is Buruburu and specifically phase two, house number 12. Yeah, don't even ask me how I remember that. And I loved being in Buruburu. And one memory I have of Buruburu, which is kind of traumatizing, is going to bed and finding a giant cockroach in the room to date I have a fear of cockroaches and I remember I was entering bed and I remember telling my auntie I need you to cover me like a maasai for some reason that was like like wrap me like just leave enough air for me to breathe because this crawly thing cannot get to me and so till today if I see any hint of a giant cockroach I'm out so that that fear was like crazy so that's such a memory I have so moved out from buluburu then we went to live in Valley Arcade, Lovington, which is where now all my life growing up, we've been there. So childhood was fun. I grew up in a generation where TV used to start at five. So and, and then you come from school at 345. So one of the things we used to do is my dad would always pick us uh, from school, then would never go home. One of those bougie kids would always go to like, I don't know, Green Corner, like could always go somewhere for tea, then we get home and then now do homework. And we thought that was normal that that happened in every house yeah but we got to realize my dad used to do that because he worked at British Airways and he traveled a lot so Mm. it was a way of connecting with us then drop us home and then he goes back to work but fast forward or rather rewind when I was eight years old I lost my mom to cancer and that was hard so that was a very defining moment in my life because I was born a sickly child Mm. so I had bronchitis so I needed to go for therapy every single day and my mom would uh take me and those are some of the best memories I have with her just her carrying me on my on uh on her back us playing I hated going to Kenyatta but she made it such a cool thing so I was like, okay fine we're going I remember the doctor making me exercise then I have to cough and I'm there like hey do I have to do this every single week yeah mm-hmm. then I hated it because when my siblings are carrying juice to school I'm carrying warm milk i seen a moment of silence like it was bad and then i was always layered up are you okay your chest has to be covered you can't get cold you can't engage in some activities but outside of that i love like my siblings are fun i fought with my sister who's after me and i was a quiet child but we always fought because we we're always bought for the same clothes so we created a solution Whoever dresses first, the other person has to change. And Marcy was (laughs) well endowed. So of course I was always, no, you remove your clothes. I put, I changed first. But I love my siblings to bits, yeah? So that transition when uh, my mom passed away was hard and I felt like a part of me disappeared. I was already a quiet child. I became more quiet. But one of the things I found solace in is reading. The library in school, I can almost remember where it was at the end of the corridor. Mm. That's where I, where I got lost. And I'd love to say that I was reading educational books, but yo, Sweet Valley High, Sweet Dreams. I, let me tell you, those love stories gave me hope. They carried me through life. And I used to love getting lost in the Inid Blytons, the mm. adventures Nancy Drew. The, it's, it allowed me to step away from the world that I was in Mm -hmm. and it helped me deal with a lot of the stuff that I couldn't understand was going on because I was in my formative years, yeah? Mm -hmm. So it's bad enough, there are all these changes happening in your body and you're wondering, who am I? and there's no one to kind of guide you Mm. so it was hard and remember my dad is traveling left right center he checks in for three days he's out to another country yeah so it was hard and then he remarried so losing my mom at that tender age i realized i didn't understand what death was in fact when she got sick we began seeing her deteriorating but then we knew she was sick but we knew hey just like a cold she's actually going to get better but then she kept getting worse then the medicine we found for her from Germany now started changing her skin color. So you're there like, okay, yo, what's going on? And seeing her deteriorate into a place where I remember when we were visiting her at Nairobi hospital, we'd always go and take for her, what do you call this chocolate? Uh, they're called macaroons. The ones at the end looks like it's dipped in chocolate and would take that to her. And because she knows we are all standing there, should eat, but then should always vomit it out, so for me, what that did to me is that those chocolates are bad, so it took me so many years, I think I was an adult for me to actually be able to eat them as soon as she died. My auntie took us to her home immediately, and we stayed there until the day of the funeral. So we were shielded from people coming to the house and coming to condole with you, so that was good. But now, when I look back it probably would have been better if we were there so that then it's our first reality of, okay, she's not here. This is now your new normal. So coming back from my auntie's house, it's almost like, oh, we'd gone for a sleepover. But then now you come back and you're there like, okay, where is mommy? She's not in the house. And then the things she used to do because she was so like present and so in your face and there and so much fun becomes a reality. And then you're looking at your cousins, you're there like, you still have your mother, we don't. So for me, what that did, it actually created a pattern and a cycle in my life that I didn't realize until much later. I settled in my mind, if I can use that word, is that I will never get close to someone because everyone I get close to, the people I love dearly, die. So fast forward, my mom's sister had a car accident and she passes on. Then I had another auntie I was very close to Got the same cancer and passed on. So for me, I vowed I'm never getting close to anyone. I'll always love people from a distance, Mm -hmm. which was a really messed up way of dealing with it. But it's the only way my young mind could comprehend all this. And then it got to a place where I didn't know how people relate with mothers. I would look at people and they're like, oh... Mothers actually do that. Like, you can actually have fun with your mother. Because then, the first few years before we adjusted with my stepmom were, you know, the proverbial story. You're there like, what? It was rough. It was an experience that made me have low self-esteem, made me doubt myself, made me question a lot of things. And so I started writing and that's where writing became a place where I, do, I could express my thoughts because I'm not allowed to say some certain things upfront. And then when I go to school, I need to pretend that I'm from a normal family mm-hmm. and fit in with the rest of the people. So that was a lot at a tender age, yeah? learning how to wear different masks. Yeah. So when my dad remarried, one of the things that was very difficult to navigate is the fact that I had questions. I'm growing up, my body's changing, but there's no there's no one to ask. There's no one to guide me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like figure it out on your own, right? And then there's also this place where I want you to love me like my mother, but then you're not doing that. So it made me feel, it it, it shifted me in a negative way where I was forced to become hardened that I'm not showing my emotions. So that that for me was a thing that I carried on for so long and almost feeling like for people to love me, it's based on an act. So that was very detrimental. So for me, what it was is, did you do your chores? Did you... Scrub the suferias. Did you clean the kitchen? Did you do this? Now you'll be appreciated. And so for me, it's taken me so many years to undo that. Where Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean you love me just for me? What do you mean I can be myself and receive love? It also made me perfect the art of uh, numbing things. So I'm looking like I'm okay. I'm smiling. Hallelujah. Everything is going on well. But on the inside, I'm crashing. And I would not share. Like only when I'm on my own. That's when I'll cry it out and I'll journal. Mm -hmm. And then a thing I used to do, if you pick that journal, you won't be able to read it. I'd write in small handwriting and no space. Because I was there like this thing, if someone catches it, my secrets cannot be out. So it will be so annoying. But for me, like that's a skill. When I think about it right now, writing and when I look at it, I can read everything. No one can understand it. So in a way... That kind of writing in a way that only I can understand is something that I did also in adulthood, in work, in where it's only me who knows what I'm saying and the few who understand me, so crazy the things we pick and how they become part of our DNA even into adult years. So another defining moment for my childhood is when I finished class eight and in my generation merit was everything. Literally people would meet you they're like what number were you in school and you always feel like saying first I am fine thanks for asking then I was the last in class but I promise I'll do better. So when I finished class eight I got 387 and I know people listening to it now may think hey that was good but it was out of 700 so like yo fail yeah and I remember that scared me for life because what he told me is you're foolish you'll never amount to anything good you have failed so the fact that your parents now have to go out looking for a school for you you've like embarrassed them in front of everyone yeah so finally I get a school and I'm thrown to Narok I'd never been to Narok in my life I get to that school the first day and I see a girl uprooting a tree and now I'm there like I want to go back i they're like is this where I'm remaining and that was punishment but I'll never forget the first year form one we'd just done our home science exam and this was also another defining moment and the teacher was calling out the papers like all teachers long ago used to do I don't know what that was beneficial they start from the highest to the lowest mm-hmm. And my paper was the last one. So I'm called Josephine Rasharia. And I got 19 out of 30. And I was so embarrassed because guys are there like, like who fails from science? And I remember that day I made a decision and I said, I am never failing this exam and I'll make sure I'm the best. By the time I was finishing form four, Not only was I the best home science student, I was given an award for being the best home science student in the school. Like everyone would be told, go to her, she knows what to do. And what that did to me, it made me realize the power of my mind that when I set my mind to something, there's nothing I can do. So these things that were affecting me, whether it's at home, whether it's the way I see myself, all I needed to do was shift my mind. Post-high school was a very interesting season. And it's funny now when I look back, I feel like every season was a different person, yeah? But post-high school, so I finished school, I'm excited, yeah, next phase is uni. But then when I finish and I'm ready to go to uni, There's no money. And they're like, what do you mean there's no money? I was there like, okay, fine. It's okay. I'll find things to do. So I register and I go to Kenya Poly, right? And Kenya Poly, I got, I did fairly well. I got all Fs. And that that was harsh because then I was there like, wow, are we like going back again to when I was in class eight? Mm. I thought that season is over. So fast forward, my sister graduates after me. And not only does she go to uni, she goes to Desta university now for those who are not familiar that's a private university so when i'm being told there's no money how is there money to take someone to a private university right what that did to me it started a trajectory of thoughts that hey maybe i'm the black sheep in the family right because everyone is kind of settled in what they're doing others are in school people like are somewhere here i am seated at home and I was home for two years Mm. every time I'd go out and hang out with my peers guys would be there like oh now we are in IB so do the rest are where so what happened my nickname became home alone I stopped going out I stopped interacting with people because it was too much so if I'm hanging out even with my friends or my sister I'm older than her right hi she in uni Mm. and um oh I'm just at home what are you doing nothing you kind of look like you're not serious with your life yeah but what I didn't realize, those two years, being at home was the best thing that could ever have happened. So my dad is a voracious reader, and I think I get that from him. So he'd always be there like, when I buy a book, I read it, then I put it in the shelf. And me, I'm thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, beyond 844, catch me dead, touching another book, yeah? And so I decided, okay, you know what? I have nothing but time. I have nothing to lose. I, I took one book, I started reading it. It got to a place, I literally had read all the books in the wall unit. and in there, were motivational books, finance books. So in a way, it's like I was becoming a multifaceted person, learning all these things. And by the time I started working, I remember there's a time a client asked me, so you did your master's in finance? And I was there, like, uh, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> the shelf uh, master's, I did that. And so what it did is that it exposed me to a whole new world, a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I stopped looking at my current circumstances and it expanded my world view that so you're looking at this current situation, that's not the end of your story, so it encouraged me and motivated me to just become at like it opened me in ways I didn't imagine were possible mm-hmm. because I read stories of one of the things I picked up was chicken soup for the soul. Let me tell you, I had every Every, every, like one would come out or get it. And for me, I remember thinking when I grow up, I want to create a chicken soup for the soul that if people who don't even know me could write a story that has changed my life, I want to be able to do that to someone else in life. Yeah, So that was a huge part. I can't even believe I'd forgotten that. So that for me, I was there like, Guys have had it worse. What am I complaining about? I have a roof over my head, like open my eyes. What do I have at my disposal, yeah? And that just started, <laughs> wait for it, the hustle. in me. <laughs> And it just, all of a sudden, no was not an answer. Mm. Like, what do you mean it can't be done? Let's try it, fine, I failed, fine, let's move on. It almost like took me back to the old me, the me that loves spontaneity, uh, the creative part in me, like I love fun, like I love laughing. I had forgotten that. And then I'd also gone through this yucky season where I used to wear clothes that are bigger than me. And I really didn't care. I remember this once, which is also a critical moment. I went to work. The office had bad network. So I was standing outside on call talking to a client. So a neighbor comes from the neighboring office. He sees me and he's there like, guy, guy, guy. He's there like, don't move. He motions, don't move. And they're like, okay. He comes and he starts taking photos of me. So there I am posing and I'm thinking, okay, knock yourself out. So later on, I went to his office I'm not like why were, t- why were you taking photos of me he's there like oh we are doing a show magic makeover and you're dressed so badly like you're the perfect the way you're dressed I'm there like for real he's there like yeah I was there like okay I got home that day my siblings were there like for real you went to work dressed like that like just to give you an image of how i think i put on i was wearing a blue dress the jacket was i don't know what color the scarf was brown and it had flowers for me i'm there like am i my body's clothed the rest are details but for me that has always been a thing so on the outside was a physical manifestation of how I was on the inside. And I didn't realize that. That when I started, I'd gotten to a place where my room was full of clutter. I'm that person where people are there like, hi, you look like you live in a showroom. So when I have clutter all over and I don't care, for me, I realized that was a clear indication Okay, so after the season of reading all these books, what happened is where we go to church was a walking distance. So I remember I'd go to church and they had a a little curio shop and they decided, you know what, let's add uh, books to it. So I'd walk there and borrow books. So one day when I'm going, the church administration is like, hey, the secretary is due to go for her annual leave. Actually, she's leaving for maternity leave. Are you able to come and sit in for her? And they're like, sure. So I went and sat in for her like for about uh, two months. In that period, I remember a lady who was a member of the church. She comes and she's like, oh, you're pretty good in computers. When you have time, are you able to come and teach me at home? And I'm like, sure, no problem. she like, and I'll pay yours. i are like, I will definitely be there. So I did that. And um, then she told another lady. Then she told another lady. So now I'm doing computers for three ladies and I'm helping them with their emails and just stuff. Yeah, Then I was recruited by Lucy Rao for Rialto. I know, and that was so amazing. So I'll never forget walking into her space, and I'm there like, I know nothing about fashion, yeah? And she's there like, I'll teach you. So started from scratch, came, organized, um, like their, their, what do you call it? They had like a show book, I think if that's what I can call it, where they put all designs and show clients. And that was really good, because then I was not only doing one thing, I was doing many things. You have to client face, you have to manage clients when their design is not what they wanted. So it, like... I picked so many skills when I was there a very good friend of mine who uh, we grew up in the same hood was relocating from Mombasa so she comes and she tells me I'm going I want to poach you and the said person is Patricia O'kello and I was there like for real she's like yeah yeah. I've been doing design and I'm coming out to Nairobi and I need someone to assist me and I'm there like but I don't know anything about design she's like don't worry I'll teach you so she moves back to Nairobi and we start Willard Productions together. And I'll never forget um the first day she's there like you'll be okay, i have gone to see a client. I'm not like, you can't leave me in the office alone. She's like, no, 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 you'll be fine. And the first client who walks in is a client called Road Chef. And he needed a design, uh, his business card edited. So he's there like, okay, Patricia is not in, could you make this change? And I'm looking at him blankly, I'm looking at the screen and I'm thinking, I know MS doors and other things, but design, I have no idea. And we, we sat down and edited the card together. And when he was leaving, he turned and he told me, keep at it you're going to end up being a really good designer and true to his word by the time I finished working at Willard I'd become like top designer I was top in uh, sales top in marketing we even started a different um branch of the company uh was a director at that so I think when I look back reading all those books and just knowing that nothing is impossible And did I make mistakes? Of course. And I paid for them dearly. But that mindset never really left me. Mm. Remember earlier I shared that uh, chicken soup for the soul was a big part of my life and my transition story. Remember the commitment and vow I made that one day I want to write a book that's actually going to impact people. So then I realized maybe this is a moment to write the book. It started in 2015, and I started by posting on social media. So every day of the week, Monday to Friday, every day I had something I was posting. So I'd broken down the days into themes. I can't remember what Monday was. Tuesday was Tuesday was leave the dash. So leave the dash is um, this thing where when you think of. Great people who've lived and have since uh, departed, whether it's a Wangaria Mathais, uh, Steve Jobs, you name it. We may not remember when they were born, but we know when they died. And why? Because of the impact they had and the legacy they left, yeah? So Leave the Dash is we know when we are born. We don't know when we are going to die. So there's that dash, you know how they put it in the eulogy, yeah? Every day you leave, your dash is getting smaller. However, what will be the story of your dash? Like, did you impact lives? Did you live for yourself? So leave the dash was something I used to feature people who are actually living their dash. Why do we give people flowers when it's too late, yeah? So celebrate people now, let them share their stories, and hopefully that will change our life. So it was called Live the Dash Memoirs, and I would feature different People and that was amazing. Then Wednesday was way back when where I just pick something like from the past and it's a story around it, yeah. And then Thursday, I forget the day, then Friday was uh letters from uh father's uh letter where I get different men or fathers to share like a story. And of course, I started with my dad bullying him, like, hey, yeah, write this, write that, and he's blessed. Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I started that religiously, and every week I would do that, and I had a team of. They're like, okay, I'm writing. they is always like, it's too much. Copy, reduce. And they're like, okay. So started writing, started writing, started writing. But prior to that, I had done Mizizi in Mavuno Church. So Mizizi is a 10-week program that they take you through at Mavuno Church. And it's uh, foundational. So we did that. And our class was like the celeb class. Like we had everyone, yeah? Whether it was Chris B. Talk, Jason Runo. Like we were such a... Class. So I remember, I met um, this guy called Dennis, and he was working at Google then. And he told me, you know what? You're you're gifted in writing. Why don't you start a blog? And I'm there like, blog what? Like, I didn't know anything about blogging. So he proceeded and opened a blog for me. And it was called Career of Sunshine, which is a play on my name. So I was like, oh, okay, he's there like, imagine, start writing. So I did that for a while. So then the blog is on that transitioned into the post every single week. And then I realized people are actually resonating with this. I would always, and I still do, hashtag carry on, yeah? Like telling guys, carry on, but I'm using my name, yeah? So it became a thing. And I remember when I started up there, like, only one person has seen. Why am I bothering? But then there was this year, I remember I went for Akesha, and I met so many people, and they're like, thank you for writing. So they're like, you know what? Tell me on the post, start to get encouraged. It's good you're reading, but yo, I was about to give up, here, yeah? So I kept writing. Fast forward to 2020, and I was there like, you know what? That dream for chicken soup, the time is now. So, that was the first book, Everyday Raise. And I was there like, I just want to spread rays mm-hmm. for every season, moment, and life. Mm-hmm. So, it's a collection of 100 devotions and stories broken down into five themes everyday life, everyday work. And these are things I experienced. At a, the lens I see things through is just in a quirky way. Mm-hmm. So, and just how I translated that. And then there's everyday love. And then there's Everyday God and there's Everyday Series, which is like a series of stories. And I put that in a book. And for me, I realized there is so much I want to share. But can I put it in a book? And then have a space where people, their questions I'm asking you, so that then you're forced to introspect. Because that is something that has impacted me. Out of every funny moment or serious moment that happened, what was my takeout from that? Yeah, What have I learned? How did I interpret it? Did I become a better person? Did it take me to a wound I've refused to deal with? So that's what the first book was. And that's where my love for writing came out. Where I realized I have so much to share. But it means nothing if I'm keeping it to myself. Why not put it out there and if it changes just one life, it's all good. Let me tell you, writing, in fact, I read a quote which is so true. It says, if you want to know yourself, write a book. Because you will have emotions you never thought were possible. First of all, putting together that book, I reference the Bible a lot. So there was a part of me that was there like, <laughs> People are going to read this book and they'll be there like, sorry, which theological school did you come from? Like this is not biblically sound. Mm-hmm. That was number one. Number two was your writing. You know, there's a way you need to structure your writing. And for me, I'm writing like I'm telling a story. So don't tell me the opening needs to be this way, needs to be that way. I was there like, this is me. Will people resonate with me? Because if you've never met me and you don't know me, Maybe you'll be there like, oh, this is so juvenile, or who writes like this? So that was also an issue. Then there was a place of, I'm a voracious reader, so I know of authors, and there are certain books, which is true, let me be honest, that I blacklist or I'm, it's a snooze fest, let's call it what mm-hmm. it is. So I started wondering, what if I do all this and no one buys a book? What if I'm left reading the book? What if it's only my family? And they were just saying that, you know how, just to cheer you on, imagine you're a good writer. What if people are just, and uh, like, I really suck, yeah? So there were moments when I was writing the book, I was there like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Then there are places where I would write something and I'm there like, this can't go. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to let people know this part of me. And the thing with writing is that especially depending on the genre of book you're writing, you'll be forced to go to places so that you're authentic and you're relatable. I can't tell people something. Like I can't tell you, you need to be in a place where you show up as yourself, be authentic, be vulnerable. And I'm here sugarcoating things or doing high level conversation. There were things I wrote and I was there like, will people judge me because of this? So there's a lot of fear that goes on. And you're wondering, will I be judged? Will people treat me differently? but then you have to overcome that fear. So there is fear, there's imposter syndrome, there's a lot of doubt mm-hmm. and second guessing. Like when you start, it's really exciting. There's, um, I love, you know, we are adults, so we call them animated features, not cartoons. And they speak to me a lot. One of the things that has become my writing habit is every day when I'm in a writing season on full volume, I play this song from the movie Trolls mm-hmm. when uh, Princess Poppy, the bargains have come and they've stolen the trolls and she's like, I need to go and save them because I'm the one who threw the party mm-hmm. that attracted the bargains. They had the music, so it's on me. No one else is coming with me. I'm going to save them. So as she's going alone, there's this song for I'm not giving up today and I play that song on full volume and she's like, hey, I'm not giving up today. I'll, I'll get back up again, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that song gets me going because the day before, if I fell flat and I was like, I can't do this, it's the next day I'm motivated to get up. So I think there's that place where there's also excitement, Mm -hmm. like an excitement you can't, like it's so, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm doing this. But then there's also fear. So it's such a roller coaster of emotions that you need to get to a place where you know how to manage it and then wait for it procrastination like the first book i had been writing it for so long i remember i remember one day i was having a conversation with pat i'd mentioned her earlier and she told me josephine I don't want to hear anything. If you had started the book when you told me by now, you'd have sold out all your books. I was like, I'm not talking about it anymore. So you talk about it, you talk about it. My accountability partner Wangari was there, like, I'm done. She so like, never ever talk about that book until I see it. And so you procrastinate a lot. Because if you're like me and you're a perfectionist, you want everything to be perfect. I want I want the stories to flow properly imagine no one cares, just put out the material, let the editor do that, right? That's their work, just churn it out, get it done already. And when I set my mind to it, it took me all of 10 days after procrastinating for, I don't know, Two years. So I finally put out the first book and I announced it on December 19th. And in my mind, I wanted to launch it on December 12th, but I was there like, I need to get it done. So December 19th, scared, I put it out on social media. But prior to that, I went for a photo shoot and I'm there like, oh, this is what authors do. Like, you need that photo. So this photo shoot was different. And I'll tell you why it was different. You don't realize how much you've changed when you're writing a book that you're literally at totally different person i remember going for the photo shoot and when i was done at least here in kenya they you take most studios you take your photos and they give you the ipad and they tell you select like the the 35 you want and everything those are the ones you'll work on and then the rest you can have so i'm sitting there going through the ipad and i start crying so the lady at the reception desk is there like she comes to me she's like are you okay the photographer is like oh my goodness did i do anything wrong And I was just telling them, no, like, I can't believe this is me. I was seeing me for the first time. And it's funny because when I was walking, entering the studio, the song that kept playing in my mind is Diana Ross. I'm coming out. I felt like a new career is being unveiled. Like, I felt like you get to a place where, and I'll use a quote to explain, do you remember who you were before the world told you who you need to be. I felt like the process of writing that book, I was now beginning to remember who I was and coming back into that and owning the good, the bad, the ugly, and now seeing myself in a way that, oh my goodness, the old career would have done a photo shoot with frumpy hood, jeans, you know, and just been gotten away with it. I dressed in clothes that, well, for my body and they showed my body properly and I was there like who is this and so for me it's like I was seeing me for the first time so I put out the book and the response was let me tell you I don't think I had a December constantly reading the comments oh bawling cry okay sending your book yeah I didn't realize that even when I thought I was running late The timing was Mm. perfect because everyone is looking for a book as they begin the year. Mm. For me, I was just thinking, just buy the book. In fact, at some point, I was looking at like, if everyone who told me congratulations bought a book, I'd be on a reprint now. That's just a money-sided part of me. Mm. But what I loved is, this is one thing I had done, afraid. I didn't know how it was going to be received. And just to see the love and the response and people buying the book, and then not only buying, but them sharing stories of how they are connecting with it. For me, that was amazing. But then what happened is that now it birthed a movement called Fast 100 Days. Mm-hmm. That at the beginning of each year, you dedicate your first 100 days. So you do a devotion. We call it a daily rape. Then you make sure you're exercising. Ha! For me, that was a challenge. I thought, do I really have to? Then drink water. Then learn a new skill every 20 days. And then eat healthy. And we said, okay, let's start with a group of like 40 people. It took a life of its own and became... One more than 130 uh, people plus, six countries represented. So just, I think that's the one thing I wish every author would get, to be in a space where you're seeing, literally because of being in that space, every day I'm hearing people sharing their stories and saying, this story did this to me, this story took me back to childhood trauma, this story, and I'm there like, it was just a story. So that was like, absolutely phenomenal and it made me realize the very things that you're afraid to do do them because they're probably the thing you need to do right and so after that first book when I was done one of the forums we have is called Pit Stop Forum and when COVID happened in uh, 2020 and everything shut down October 11th is World Mental Health Day. So he decided instead of one day, why don't we take the whole month and create awareness and start to do a deep dive. And I was there like, you know what? There's like a buzzword going around. I don't even know much about mental health, so I want to learn. So they're like, how would I want to learn this? I'd want to see uh, infographics. I'd love to hear people's uh, lived experiences. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get information to educate me and empower me and to break the stigma around that. So that's what we did. So we combined all that and um, we started. Then we did funky T-shirts where, hey, it's okay uh, not to be okay. T-shirts, it's pronounced uh, mental illness, not crazy, you know, Mm -hmm. and just, just to create awareness. So we did that for an entire month. And like, were they are like we are done on to the next topic, guys? Are they like no? What we didn't realize is how deep the issue was and how much people were struggling with it. People were taking our content and uh, sharing it in their chamas, their family groups, their work groups, and they are like keep going, you can't stop now. Us behind the scenes were they like. We just want to rest. But were are there like, oh, my goodness, we're on to something. So that morphed then into speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. Spoke to different groups, be it rotary groups, FIFA, be it uh, Bible study groups in church, be it. And everyone would be there like, oh, my goodness, do you have material? Is there a place where we can go and get uh, more information on this? And I started looking around for books. So every time I walk into a bookshop, I would always be there like, where are your books on mental health? And they're like, we don't have any I'm they're like, what do you mean you don't have any? Others would take me to the self-help shelf. And they're like, no, 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 no. Others take me to motivational books. So I began realizing there is a gap and that also adds to the taboo that when you walk to a bookshop, they don't have it. And when they have it, it's down there, hidden. And they're like, why are we ashamed? Mm-hmm. If we're not talking about it, I would love to walk into a bookshop and see a book on trauma. Pick it and go and read it. Yeah, It's not there. So I remember challenging a bookshop here, a leading bookshop. I'm there like, why don't they're there like, we only stock. People have not asked us for books on mental health. I was there like, wow. So then I asked, oh, where is the manager who used to be there who was a friend of mine? The irony of it all, he passed away because he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And they're like, are you not seeing what I'm trying to tell you guys? So that gap, I realized there was no, like there were no books that people could read. And the books that were there were skewed towards a psychology, like you're doing the course, Mm -hmm. People don't want, when I wake up today and I'm feeling meh, don't start telling me the the genetic factor, the neurochemicals in your head today. No, 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 no. I just want to know, why am I feeling meh? Mm -hmm. Yesterday was okay or last week was okay. What's going on this week? Just break it down in a way that's palatable. So that informed the writing of this book. But then now, imposter syndrome came on steroids. This is a field where you have people who are gurus. And I'm there like, I'm just a newbie in the field. But what I realized is what I know, what I have studied, what I've learned, the courses I've done, if I just take that and put it together in a book, that's a good place to start. If I give you direction, by the time you finish reading the book, if you're there like, oh, okay, I need therapy. And I know why I need therapy. Mm -hmm. As opposed to always being given coping tools, but you're not telling me what I'm coping from. Have you helped? So the book was the first layer Maybe like the first three steps and then now your mind has been opened and now you're okay talking about it. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, it was all about breaking the silence, making it okay, giving people permission and letting guys know you're not an anomaly like Mm -hmm. all of us. All of us are dealing with something. So the name of the book is If You Don't Mind Me Saying your mental health is more important Mm -hmm. so the if you don't mind me saying is like sorry can i interrupt you because i know right now you think work uh you think your relationship you think your children you think growing up that career ladder is the most important but if your mind is not okay your mind is like the heart think of a car the engine Mm -hmm are going nowhere if that engine is not okay. So if you don't mind me saying, is a clarion call and to get your attention because then we also plan on taking it further and having conversations that people have been afraid to have, like talking about the environment to grow up as a child. How has that affected you? Sadly, we have a lot of adult toddlers today because we realize, especially in Africa, we were never taught how to process our emotions, our feelings. So, We've been throwing tantrums ever since, right? No one taught us that, right? Our parents, they didn't know any better. They were raised from by PTS, parents who had PTSD, right? Parents who went through so much trauma that they didn't even know how to process. So these are parents who are raising us. And all they knew is that we are going through a lot, but we need to raise children who are well-mannered, Children who make us look good and children Mm -hmm. who will be able to survive in life, right? Basically, I love what my friend says. Our parents didn't see us as as children. They saw us as walking errors to be corrected. That's really sad, yeah? So a lot of us are bitter, angry, but we don't understand what they went through. So what are we doing? We're regurgitating it to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So we have people who are either in relationships or in like relating from a trauma perspective because you've not healed, right? So I think for me, that's what, if you don't mind me saying, like, if you don't mind me saying, maybe you're the one who's toxic. How is it that when you go to work, it's toxic, in church, it's toxic, in your family, it's toxic, yet you're the common denominator. Mm -hmm. How about we have a conversation? Mm -hmm. So my desire is that this book will actually open up a portal where people are ready Okay, they may not be ready, but are willing to have some of these difficult conversations that will help them understand their natural proclivities. Why am I the way I am today? And what narrative am I telling myself today? Or is part of my story that I need to unlearn? Because at the end of the day, we are all unreliable narrators of our story. One of the things I realized that it's very easy to talk about healing and say you need to heal. Um, healing is necessary, but healing is hard. Healing is messy. Healing takes time. You can have made so much progress and then you spiral and go back to a place where you're worse than where you started off, right? So if you're listening, as I close out this, one of the things I'd love to encourage you is that pace yourself healing is not linear so don't expect it to be because they were cultured our education it's almost like oh just move from here to there to there and you will get it no it's not linear it will it will be hard let me be honest it will take you to places of you or within you that you probably not been in a long time when I was getting ready to write this second book I mean, I'm a two time author. Like, how hard can it be? I thought, easy peasy, I have the information, I have the notes, put it together, the book is ready. I remember starting chapter three. Chapter three is titled, You're Not Crazy. I could not go beyond the first line. I got to a place where I realized I had put band aid, like, I'd done a lot of band aid solutions and I needed to heal. I was not ready. And I camped there, like, for about four days. And it was a moment of being broken, of crying. Just think of ugly crying. So for you to heal, you need to be honest with yourself. You can lie to everyone else, but you yourself know where you need to heal. Secondly, you need to be willing to put in the time and to be intentional about it. It's funny how we prioritize other things, but we We deprioritize what matters most to us. If your healing is to be a reality, If it means every Friday evening is my day to heal, start there. Be that intentional. And healing looks like different things to different people. Your healing could be you starting by journaling. Your healing could be music, worship, whatever kind of music that speaks to you. Your healing could be change of scenery. Your healing could be as simple as taking a coloring book that is inexpensive. And as your coloring You're going back to places that you covered, you numbed, and you said, I'm never going back there. You need to go back there. Mm -hmm. Then healing can also look like you talking to a therapist because you don't know where to start, right? And they will ask you questions that will help you unpack and go deeper and deeper. And finally, I just want to share this with you. You're not just existing. You are not just breathing. Just means only and there is so much more to you. If this season isn't looking how you thought it would, and you're not sure how you'll make it through, your strength to take this day by day is one of the most miraculous things you could ever do. It will not feel like it in the moment, and that's okay. It takes a lot, a lot to be human, and to make the most of this existence when the burden of your struggles strains your mind, body, and heart. So the fact that you have made it this far means something. You are strong in a billion subtle ways. And I just hope you can remember that. That in seasons like this, on days like today, you have been through so much and you have been strong anyway. By Morgan Harper Nichols.
0: Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. So many moments in the story stuck with me I just I don't know if Jocelyn understood just how powerful the things that she was saying were I've even like cut up a few moments that I completely identified with like when she spoke about love and and understanding the unconditionality of love when she said this.
1: And almost feeling like for people to love me, it's based on an act. So for me, what it was is, did you do your chores? Did you scrub the sufririas? Did you clean the kitchen? Did you do this? Now you'll be appreciated. And so for me, it's taken me so many years to undo that. Where Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean you love me just for me? What do you mean I can be myself and receive love? It also made me perfect the art of numbing things. So I'm looking like I'm okay. I'm smiling. Hallelujah. Everything is going on well. But on the inside I'm crushing and I would not share.
0: Like I really, I really sometimes struggle with that. That and and the the issue of once you've experienced some sort of intimate trauma, you don't know how to receive healthy love. Or you you struggle with it. Well, at least for me, I've found that to be an issue for me. And like when she said this, I was just like, Yup. <laughs> I'm right there with you. When she talks about childhood trauma, imposter oh, imposter syndrome. Mm, 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 mm. So she did gift me a copy of her latest book, the third book. And it is amazing. I think one of my favorite bits in the book is that there's a coloring section. So a bit where there is... Not a doodle, but let me just say doodle for now and you get to color it, which is a mindful exercise, eh? I I just think it's such a well-thought-out book and I absolutely love it. So in the show notes, I've put a link to Josephine's Instagram, a link to where you can order the book as well. I think she's really on to something and her heart is in the right place while she was creating this. So only powerful things can come from that. So remember, if you want to share a story on this podcast, all you have to do is, in the show notes, notes, fill out the Google form. There's a link. You cannot miss it. Fill it out. Make sure you put an email address or contact that you check regularly and we will be in contact with you to figure out when to record your story. Make sure you also catch (laughs) this podcast on Trace FM here in Kenya. If you go to traceradio.co.ke, there's a list of all the frequencies and you can catch us there Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1pm. Make sure you sign up to officially join the Legally Clueless family. Just go to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. My final message to you, and it might seem redundant because I say this all the time, but honestly, this has been the biggest lesson for me in the last year or so. Grace extend 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 grace to yourself extend grace to others life is really happening to all of us a little grace can go a super long way that's it for this episode of legally clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself i'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode